Welcome. My name is Michael Aceta. I'm the founder of Matador Canine Brilliance and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You're listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. To the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast, today's episode is all about exploring the concepts of reward placement. What is reward placement? How does it affect our dog's learning? How does it affect our dog's training? And how, if we use it effectively, we can accelerate everything that our dog is trying to learn, everything we're trying to teach them, the skills that they need to know to adapt to everyday life. Or if you're trying to do competitions, you're trying to fix problem behaviors, reward placement is huge when working with your dog and trying to do anything of value. We're also going to talk to the concept of why reward placement could have negative effects, how it could create disobedience. It could create more problems than good if we do it incorrectly. Okay, we're going to go over the science of reward placements. We're going to go over positive reinforcement and how it influences your dog. We're going to talk about some of the common mistakes and the techniques that you're going to be able to use right after listening to this episode with your own dog and accelerating your training. So let's jump into it first. What is reward placements? To understand reward placements, you have to understand what's called the reward event. Whenever you give your dog a treat, whenever you give them a toy, whenever you give them praise, the big picture is what's called a reward event. Now, professionals will use a reward event in different locations to prompt their dog to do something different in the next repetition. For example, if I want my dog a little forward in whatever behavior I'm trying to do, I might reward them in front of them. If I want them to back up, I will reward them behind. The best example I can give to this is if you're having your dog recall to you. Of course, if your dog's running directly at you, you would not toss a toy behind them. Right? That might seem normal. Well, my dog's running to me. Maybe I want to reward them with a toy. So I'm going to toss the toy behind them and they're going to chase after the toy and then they're going to come back. What actually happens more often than not is instead of our dog running all the way to us, they'll stop further and further away. Every single repetition, they are rewarded further and further away from us. They're going to stop further and further away. Instead of coming all the way to us, they're like, oh, well, you're going to toss it behind me. I might as well back up. I might as well get ready for it. That is reward placement. The reward event is happening further away from you, and so they are actively looking to go further away from you. Professionals know this, and instead, they'll toss the toy behind them. Their dog's running directly to them. If you can get your dog to run between your legs, that's fantastic. Your dog's running to you. You toss the toy behind you. They'll run straight through your legs. They get the toy. You turn around. You recall them again. They run back to you. You tell them to drop the toy. They drop the toy. You throw a second toy behind you. You're teaching them to run through you in order to get the toy, in order to get the reward. The reward event is happening behind you, which means we're motivating them to push through us. That's just one technique. We're going to go over a couple later on. But I want you to understand that the reward placement can be very, very useful when you use it correctly. If you use it incorrectly, if you toss the toy behind them, then we're creating problems, right? We're creating disobedience. I call, I recalled them. I want them to come all the way to me. And instead, they want to go that way. Now, the science behind this is that dogs are very simply opportunists. They are opportunists. They are looking for the opportunity for reinforcement. That is why positive reinforcement works so well. Our dogs are actively seeking reinforcement. They want to find the thing that's going to bring them joy, give them extra value, and get this dopamine hit in their brain. When they solve problems, they get a dopamine spike, the chemical dopamine, which is good feelings and elation. They get that in their brain. And they want to do it again. 
The more they do it, the more dopamine they get, the more they want to do it. This is the power of positive reinforcement, right? If you've trained your dog for any length of time using treats or toys or praise, then you know this. Once you pull out the toy, once you pull out the treat bag, they get excited. They want to do stuff with you. So when they're looking for that opportunity, they're engaged with you. They're trying to get the reinforcement. If we give them the opportunity to go to a specific spot to do it, they will beat us there. They will run straight there. That's why dogs run to the back door when you grab the leash. They know outside is exciting and the reward placement is outside. So they're going to be opportunists. They're going to get ahead. They're going to cheat the system and they're going to get to the back door so that when we put the leash on, we're that much closer to going outside. Imagine you put the leash on at the front door and then took them out the back door. Where would they go? They're probably going to go to the back door. That was a trick question. You might say, oh, well, they'll go to the front door. No, because the reward placement is at the back door. It doesn't matter what happens before the reward placement. What happens is where is the reward placement? Now, this is very commonly used in heel or competition work. We want our dog to be further behind us, right? If they're glued to our, our leg and they're forging forward a little bit, maybe you want them to back up. You're going to reward behind them so that they back up. They're intentionally holding themselves back instead of coming forward. If we want them to come forward a little bit, we can reward them in front. Now, there is some complication to this, okay? Now that you understand the science, let's talk about technique. Technique, where we place the treat or where we place the toy or where we place the praise, can be manipulated by using one of two things. Number one, a conditioned reinforcer, the clicker, right? I use the clicker in the moment where my dog is in the perfect position that I want them. Then the reward event can happen anywhere. Okay, so if I'm doing a recall, like the example from before, I recall my dog all the way to me, they sit in front of me, I click, the treat can go anywhere. The toy can go anywhere. I can toss it behind them because they've finished the behavior. The conditioned reinforcer, that click or the word yes, indicates to my dog that it is over. We are done over with. Okay, the behavior is completely done. You've earned your reinforcement. Wherever that reinforcement goes is totally fine. However, you can use reinforcement placement to encourage them to do the next repetition. For example, if I want my dog to look at me, right? I'm practicing having them give me eye contact. Instead of giving them a treat directly in their mouth while they're already looking at me, I might toss the treat over there. It gets them to turn away from me so that I can have them practice turning back towards me. As they turn back towards me, I mark and toss another treat. They're going back and forth. I'm setting them up for the next repetition. If I don't set them up, then we're in this weird loop. I do this with obedience constantly. My dog puts their butt down in a sit. I will click, run backwards, and give them a treat for standing up. Does this encourage them to stand after I click? Yes, and that's okay because the click indicates that the behavior is done. It doesn't mean that all of our training is done, but it does mean that the sit is done, right? I said sit, my dog put their sit down. I could say, good boy, I could keep them going, right? I could release them with a release word, okay, free, or I could click. And when they click, they're allowed to stand up and get their treat. I'm essentially teaching them to break the command by a terminal marker is what it's called. A conditioned reinforcer that ends the behavior is called a terminal marker. So once I get them up, good, I give them a treat. Now I can ask them to sit again because they're standing. Same thing with down, same thing with standing actually, right? So if they're standing, if I tell them to stand, I might push them back into a sit with a treat or I might ask them for a sit and then have them stand. You have that flexibility when you understand these concepts and these principles and you can put them in to where you need them, okay? Now the other way, Right, I mentioned there was two. There's kind of two ways to do this. The other way is to add words for all of the different reward placements that you're going to use. What do I mean by that? 
First, there's indirect and direct rewarding. Some people call this the pre-Mac theory. I call it indirect and direct rewarding. If I'm going to directly give my dog a treat, I'm going to take it from my hand and put it in their mouth. That is direct. If I'm going to send them to go do something, that is indirect. So instead of giving them the treat, I'm sending them to a bowl of food. Or I'm tossing a toy and having them go get it. That's indirect rewarding. They go, they get it, they come back. All great, right? So first you need to determine that. And what I can do is I can have a clicker for direct rewarding. I click, they come directly to my center and I give them the treat. And I can say, go, and they'll run off and I can toss the toy. That would be an indirect conditioned reinforcer. What they've learned is that word go means run off until you find the thing that I sent you to go get. But it's not a command. It's not a cue. It's not telling them to do something. It's relieving them from what they've done by indicating what they just did earned them reinforcement. Go, because they sat patiently, means now you can go and get a toy. Okay, or go eat the food in the bowl. Now there's even another level to this, an advanced level to this. If Let's say we have heal is the best way to describe it because of all the different complexities in that one moment. So if we have our dog heal right next to us, they're glued to our side, they're following along with the seam of our pants, right? And they're looking up at us. I can do a couple of things. And again, we're going to pick different condition reinforcers, these different sounds that mean different things. And you'd have to find that out for yourself. But if I have my dog at a heel, I might put a toy right on my shoulder so that they're looking up at my face. Now, I don't like this too much simply because they're looking at the toy, not my face. And that's a clear indication, right? If I were to hold the toy away from me, they're probably going to still look at the toy. If I can teach that separately, then fantastic. And I can have them look into my eyes. But let's say I put the toy maybe in my armpit or on my shoulder. They make magnetic toys that fit with vests, so you can do this. And when they are looking at me, I can flick it off my shoulder or I can have my dog jump up and get it. Now I'm going to need a conditioned reinforcer that's clear to do that as opposed to have my dog go behind me and I'm going to toss a toy off to the side, away from me. That way they're learning to be closer and closer to me. Again, reinforcement placement teaches our dog to go forward in a position or retreat in a position to get closer to where the reward placement is. So if I, if I have my dog on my left side and I want them to hug onto me and be closer to my right side, I will toss the toy or the treat onto my right side, which means they're going to be pushing into me in the hopes that I will let them slip behind my leg or slip in front of me and go get the toy over there. If they're on my left and they're really pushing into me and I need them to relax a little bit, but I still want them right next to me, I might reward them right next to me or I might toss the toy to the left. So they're going to peel off to the left and go get it. I can also have them peel off to the left and go behind me, peel off to the left and go forward, peel off to the right and go behind me, peel off to the right and go forward, right? I have all these different directions that I could have my dog go into. And when we really get into the nitty gritty of competitional training and that kind of thing, you want to have conditioned reinforcers for all of these different aspects. You want them to go on from the left leg. You want them to spin in a circle and go behind you. You want them to spin in the circle and then go forward, right? Because maybe you want them to learn how to tuck their butt more behind you. They're flailing out with their butt, meaning instead of being parallel to you, they're flailing out. Their hind legs are further away from you than their uh, forelimbs, right? So instead of having that happen, I'm going to teach them to turn to the left. It tucks their button. So why, why would I then use a conditional reinforcer instead of just using a lure or using a toy 
and just tossing it in a random direction. This is why. It creates clarity with your dog. The clearer training will be, the faster your dog will learn. It's just like in school. right? If you remember back to grade school or high school or even college, when you went to a class, the outline was laid out for you. It was clear what you were going to learn. It was clear what the topic was. That way your brain was in the right mindset to learn that information. If you went into English class and started talking about math, it'd make no sense. And that's why a lot of people struggled with science, because we're talking about science and we start tossing in math. Yes, they go together. They absolutely go together, but you are prepped for science. Lengthy text, difficult words like proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, right? Those difficult words, your brain is prepared for, not numbers. Once you start throwing numbers in there or algebra, a lot of people hate algebra because there's letters in there. Why are there letters in there? I'm talking about math, right? Now, on a rudimentary level, we all understand math is math, science is science, and they, they co-mingle together because they have to. But it's much easier for you to digest new information when you understand the rules and the outline of the information, of the context. So when I use a condition reinforcer and I tell my dog, spin, right? They're in a heel position. I say spin, and I want them to spin off to the right and maybe twirl a spin off to the left. I say spin. They are already looking to where the reward is. They know what to expect. It is clear to them what they should be doing. Okay. If I were to say spin and I toss the toy in front of us and spin meant turn around and go behind me, now he's going to be lost. It disrupts the flow of training. It makes him second guess what he's doing. And he doesn't become as enthusiastic or creative in the process because he's constantly worried about what's happening next. Right? If we look at the back chaining principle, essentially my dog should always know what's coming next. What my dog knows least comes first. For example, the word, right? My dog needs to know the behavior first. They need to know that reinforcements are available actually first, right? First, they need to know reinforcements are available. Then they need to know what a conditioned reinforcer is. The clicker means, yes, you got a treat. Then my dog needs to know what behavior to do. And then they need to know when to do it, when not to do it. That's the word. When you say sit, everything I just mentioned happens afterwards, sit, my dog does the behavior, they hear the conditioned reinforcer, and then they get the treat. They have to know the treat, then the conditioned reinforcer, then the behavior, and then the word. That's how the process should go. And so at the end of the day, if you're struggling with your dog's behavior, break it down like that and make it clear for them on what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. Okay. We got a lot. There's a lot to digest there, a lot to unpack. I want to take a moment and thank all of our loyal followers. This podcast would not be possible without you. Leave a review and let us know what you like and want to learn on the next episode of the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. Now, back to the show. Now I want to talk about the common mistakes that people make when they have a plan to start implementing reinforcement placement. Right? This is a very deep concept. It goes very, very deep down the rabbit hole of training and theory and techniques and all of that. You really have to know what you're doing to implement it correctly. Now, the common mistakes kind of go like this. Number one, you either don't know what you're doing and you're just kind of messing with it. Number two, you don't spend enough time conditioning the reinforcements appropriately, right? You have to teach your dog what you want them to do first. Number three, you're overcomplicating it. Or number four, you're setting them up for failing by testing them. Okay, you're testing them. So 
Let's do it like this. First one. You just don't know how to do it. It's overcomplicated. Write it out. I want you to write it out. Write everything out. Get everything that's in your brain out on paper first. Write down what you want to see, right? I want my dog to down 10 feet away from me. Okay, that's what we want to see. I want my dog to down 10 feet away from me. Well, where could I reward them? I could reward them where they stopped. I could reward them behind them or I could reward them for, uh, in front of me. Which would be more likely to improve the performance of the behavior? Now, if you're writing this down, fantastic, because these are the questions that are going to be perfect if you're struggling with this. What do I want my dog to do? List out where you could reward them and then pick which one is going to be more likely to improve the quality of the behavior. I want my dog to stop at 10 feet and they're stopping at six feet. And this, of course, I'm talking about a recall down halfway. So they're 100 feet or 50 feet away. You recall them and you want them to stop 10 feet in front of you when you say the word down. So when they're running, I say the word down, I want them to drop immediately. Do I reward behind them? Do I reward them where they are? Do I reward them in front of me? It depends. If they are closer than 10 feet, I'm going to reward them behind them because it's going to improve the likelihood that they stop sooner. Or maybe they slow down their run to listen better. That's oftentimes what happens. If they're right on the money, they're right at 10 feet. I might reward them in their spot, or maybe I might reward them behind if I want to ensure that they slow down. Maybe I reward in front because I want them to speed up, but continue to stop at that same spot. If they're 20 feet when they're supposed to be 10 feet, then I definitely want to reward them in front of them so that they come forward more. Okay. This is the kind of difference. So write out your training plan, write out what you want to see, write out where you could reward them in the different spaces you could reward them. And then ask yourself, what will be more likely to increase the likelihood that this happens? Okay, now overcomplicating it. Overcomplicating it. It does not need to be difficult. You do not need to have 15 different conditioned reinforcers. Like with heel, with advanced competitions, they got behind them, they got to the right, they got to the left, they got in front of them, they got jumping up and getting a treat over here, they got jumping up and getting a toy over there, right? on different shoulders and different armpits. They got the toy in between their leg. They got the toy, in the, the toy in their pocket, like all these crazy stuff. You don't need to have 15 different conditioned reinforcers. If anything, you really only need three. Okay, here are the three conditioned reinforcers that you need to have with your dog. Number one, a terminal marker. What you just did is over. You can now have the reward. The second one is what's called a keep going signal. What you're doing is fantastic. I want you to continue doing it until I give you the terminal marker. Fantastic. Now, the last one you need is an indirect reward. So instead of directly rewarding your dog, you need to have something that tells them they're allowed to go do something or get something. They're allowed to go say hi to somebody. They're allowed to go take uh, food off the counter. They're allowed to go eat the food on the floor that your three-year-old son dropped. For my dogs, it's okay, clean up, right? That tells them that there are. it's a terminal marker. They've stopped doing the behavior, which is relaxing and waiting. And then I say, go clean up. And that is their conditioned reinforcer. I say it the exact same way every time, go clean up. And now they're allowed to go and take the food off the floor that my son dropped. Those are the three that you need. Terminal marker, keep going signal, and an indirect reward marker. Essentially, go and get the thing that you want. That is as overly complicated as you need. You could just do two. I would pick either the direct reward or the indirect reward. Right? I, I would eliminate the keep going signal because that's really just to motivate your dog to continue doing what they're doing, but they should do it anyway, based off the training that you're doing. Okay. But bare minimum would be one bare minimum. You need a conditioned reinforcer. It's the only way you're going to be able to select what your dog did in that moment is what's deserving of the treat.
or the reward, okay? Now, not teaching at first is big mistake number three. If I want my dog to go get food off the floor, I cannot ask them to do a whole obedience routine and then send them confused as all hell to go get a treat off the floor. They're going to be like, okay, what, what? They're going to come up to me expecting a treat. I'm not going to have one. Again, this goes back to before. It's going to create a level of or a lack of clarity. My dog's going to be confused. I thought I was getting a treat. Why didn't I get a treat? Now it's dishonest. And we're getting into all this chaos. Instead, I have to teach them first the treat over there you're allowed to go get. This automatically happens if we're doing a uh, leave it, right? My dog sits and waits patiently. I tell them to go get it. Now they can go get the treat. Once you implement that and you start to pepper it into all your other training, it becomes very clear to your dog, okay, go get it means go get the treat that's over there. That's super simple. But let's say you're teaching something different. I want my dog to go from a down position, get up and turn around to get a treat or a toy. I have to teach that first. How might I do that? I might have my dog down next to me, us facing the same direction, show them the toy, tell them to go get it and toss it away from them. That way they can clearly see where it should be going. Or maybe I break the behavior down so that instead of rewarding behind them, I rewarded a 90 degree angle to them, a perpendicular line to them. So they can see it out of their peripheral and then they go and get it. And then I slowly work that back and back and back. Depends on how you want to do it. Depends on your dog's level of skill, your level of skill, and the amount of patience that you might have or what you're already used to. I personally would break it down unless I'm talking about a leave it, which I've already done, right? You have to teach it first. You want your dog to spin off to the side and go get something. Then you have to teach them first to spin, right? And this is where the fancy luring comes from when someone has a lot of treats in their hand and they're getting their dog to spin in a circle to the right, spin to the left. They're trying to put them in the right position and rewarding them accordingly. But in actuality, they're also teaching them a spin. So they could just remove the treats, tell them a different condition to reinforce or have them spin in that direction, mark and treat. And then they wouldn't need to mark a second time, right? So that conditioned reinforcer leads to the other conditioned reinforcer. And I'm getting confusing here. The conditioned reinforcer that tells them to spin, meaning what you did where you were is exactly where I want you to be. You're now done. You can go do something else. That would then be followed by a click and treat because they're accustomed to the click and they know what they did was right. Again, we're teaching behaviors intentionally used to reward our dog accordingly. It's a very deep concept very deep concept. I don't want you to get muddled up in the mechanics of it. Understand the principles, the mechanics will come a lot easier. And then the last one is setting your dog up to fail. And this is what I call testing. There's three levels to teaching your dog anything, teaching, training, and testing. A lot of people spend more time in the testing area than they do in the training or the teaching area. Okay. Testing should probably be 20 to 10% of all of the training and work that you do with your dog. Essentially, when you're doing something with them and you go, oh, I don't know if they can do it. Let's find out. That's a test. You are testing them to see if they can do it. And you end up setting them up for failure because they don't know what your expectation is. They don't know how to do it. And you're, you're, you're just struggling at that point. This is what I unfortunately did when I started working in, in college, when I started working with dogs in college. We, everybody was so excited about working with dogs. We were like, okay, well, I wonder if this dog could do this. And we tested it out. The dog failed. And we were like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's move on to the next thing instead of learning how to do it. And my professors pointed it out. They said, you're not teaching these dogs. You're expecting them to do things that they cannot do. Teach them. And then let's talk about it afterwards. And we were all given the assignment, whatever it was that we had our dogs testing, jumping over something or whatever. It's like, okay, break it down, split the behavior, back chain it, condition reinforcer, positive reinforcement, reward schedules, all the good stuff I always talk about. And those dogs were able to do it much easier, much more competently. And with a certain level of confidence that made it look easy, 
right? It wasn't easy before because they were struggling, because we were testing them. We were pushing the limits of what they could not do, did not know how to do, and wouldn't do in a natural situation. And so if you're having your dog heal next to you or you're having your dog recall to you and you're just, you decide to do something that they've never done before, they're going to be confused. And again, lack of clarity leads to a lack of effectiveness in training. It's as simple as that. Lack of clarity leads to a lack of effectiveness in training. This episode was jam-packed. A lot of information here, so I want to go over a little bit just as a summary so you can start to understand everything we talked about and make sure you look up the information if you don't have it, or maybe you write down questions after I've said what I'm saying, and you go listen to the Acknowledged Dogs podcast again. Okay, so what is reward placement? The effectiveness of rewarding our dog in a particular area with the reward event, whether it be a toy, treat, or praise, to encourage the likelihood of that level of performance in a particular area, whether forging ahead, moving back, off to the side, closer or further away. We're controlling how our dog performs the behavior by rewarding them in a particular location. This works because our dogs are opportunists. They are looking for the advantage. They want to be closer to the reward event. They don't want to wait. They are cheaters. Okay, Dogs are cheaters. They want to find the best way to do something, the most effective way to do something. And if they are eager for reinforcement, they will do this 10 times better. Working dogs are amazing at this. That's why they have behavior problems like going through trash or ripping someone's pants off. I knew a dog that did this. It didn't get the reward fast enough, the ball. And so it ripped the guy's cargo shorts off to get the ball. They were not waiting. They are opportunists. They want what they want. and They will go get it one way or another. Okay. Now, science behind it, the dopamine in the brain tells them to do this. It's so it's such a such a such a powerful uh, chemical in the brain. For people it's a powerful chemical. That's why TikTok is so addictive. That's why social media was addictive or is addictive still, right? And when the next thing comes along and gives us more dopamine faster at a higher rate of reinforcement, I talk about higher rates of reinforcement all the time. TikTok gave us a dump of dopamine at a high rate of reinforcement, so much so that Instagram has kind of fallen to the side, Facebook has fallen to the side, unless you're not on TikTok. But if you're on TikTok, then this is what's influencing a lot of people's emotions and struggles right now, because they're getting such a overload of dopamine and a dump at one point that once they're off TikTok, there's no more dopamine. They don't know what to do. And so when our dogs are looking for dopamine, once they get it, they feel great. They want to do it again. Don't create a dog that's addicted to TikTok in that way or dopamine in that way. It's bad for people. It's bad for dogs. It should be regulated. But the best type of dopamine is those that solve problems. When we solve problems, we get a hit of dopamine that makes us feel better, makes our dogs feel better, more creative, more excited, more engaging. Now, the techniques you can use, we got to use indirect rewards. We got to use direct rewards. We have to challenge our dogs, but also create a lot of clarity for them. Teach them what you want them to know. Don't overcomplicate it. Make it as simple as possible for them. Do not set them up for success by testing them and spend time really learning and understanding how to do it. Write everything down. Make it really easy for yourself. It doesn't need to be complicated. Again, those three basic ones that you should implement, a terminal marker, meaning it's over, it's done with, a keep going signal, meaning continue doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. I love it. And then an indirect reward. Go forth and go get the item. Thank you guys for listening to the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. If you have questions, please let me know either on social media or leave a review on the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in training with me 
head over to matadorcanine.com forward slash coaching, matadorcanine.com forward slash coaching. I have one-on-one private virtual training. It's the most effective training in the world. You're going to get not only one-on-one instruction through Zoom lessons, you're also going to get the complete video library, audio library, and workbooks to supplement all the training that we're doing, as well as 24-7 support and mobile access on your phone to the courses. It's an absolute onslaught of information and content to help keep you successful and reliable in your dog's training so that the next 15 years of your dog's life is effortless. Thank you guys for listening. I'm going to open up the live for questions if you have any. And if you haven't tuned into our live events, you're listening to this after the fact, make sure you check it out. We go live almost every single day at noon, around noontime. (laughs) Follow us on social media so you can get the notifications when we do go live. I'll see you then. All right, opening it up here. What do we got? Questions, comments, concerns. What did you like about the episode? If you were here for the whole time, what did you miss? What would you like me to go back over? What uh, problems are you struggling with your dog? What's going on? Dogs Anonymous. Yes, I'm recording a podcast. The Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. The best podcast. People just don't know it yet. It's the best one out there. We have over 160 episodes of the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast, which is a absolutely absurd amount. Not a single dog training podcast that I have found has that many episodes. I'm proud of it. If you haven't checked it out, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts, I think it's called. Yeah, Apple Apple Podcasts. I always say iTunes. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music Now. That just happened last week. Amazon Music Now. It is now available. Guys, if there's no other questions, no worries. I know it's been a lot, so take all that information in, absorb it, use it, ask questions either in the comment section of my videos or you can send me a message if you're like, I don't understand what this guy was talking about. I'd love to answer them. I'd love to make more videos about reward placements because it is such an in-depth topic. Thank you guys for listening and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and connect with me on your favorite social media platform.